Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to share something that is working in me. And so I'm sharing something that the Lord is speaking very deeply into my own heart right now. And I trust into your heart it will tonight be. So it's from Second Corinthians in chapter 1. We might even have uh, lighted on this verse before, but let's take it as brand new tonight. Okay, it is in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, and I just hit the one verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God... In him, in Jesus, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Well, there there it is. That's the text. And let me just share with you what the Holy Spirit is speaking in me these days. The passage is speaking of the gospel the gospel that comes to us in the Lord Jesus. And as he's speaking of the gospel, that is, the gospel is never yes and no. It's never hesitant. It's never between two opinions. The gospel is God's yes. And having said that, he then takes this gigantic, shall I say, leap, but it was uh, to the beginning of the Bible, to the end of the Bible, And he says, all the promises of God, as many as they may be, um, which is, that's how the original language means. Uh, The the promises of God, all of them, as many as they may be. I'm not talking about a specific promise, he says. I'm not going to, to just talk about this passage or that passage. He said, go to Genesis, leap and dance through every book of the Old Testament, and then swim through the New Testament. Every time you hit a promise of God, all the promises of God, and as I say, the, the Greek language is very emphatic, as many as they may be. Don't bother to count them. Just every promise that you encounter in the Scripture, they are yes. They are yes in Christ Jesus, in Him. They are yes, and therefore also through Him, because we are in Him and we live from Him, through Him is our amen. Yes, that's the way it is, says amen. All the promises of God. Now, I want you to take this very seriously. I, in in terms of how I'm feeling right now, if ever there was a time when I, in my own spirit, am purposing, intending, 
to speak directly to you. It's just you and me right now. I want to talk to you. How you view the promises of God. This is one of the most amazing statements in Scripture in that it takes in all the other amazing statements and says they are, yes, waiting for our amen. Now, I want you and I to talk about this and to take it very seriously. I would go as far as saying that for us human beings, such a verse as this is a matter of life and death. That This is not just a happy little chat we're having on a Tuesday night. This, is, this, this defines your life. This tells me whether you'll walk in darkness and emptiness and lifelessness or whether you will live in the abundance of life that is in Jesus Christ. It's right here. That's what we're going to talk about. All the promises of God. Well, what's a promise? A promise... A promise is not an empty wish for you. A, a promise in the Scripture is not just getting you off my back by saying I'll do something, but have no intention of doing it. Nor, nor is it that sort of fellow who with all the good will of his heart says I'm going to do that but promptly forgets every word about it because that's the way he is. No, all those things are nothing to do with promises in the Scripture. A promise is a covenant commitment. Hear that. There's so much of the vocabulary of Scripture that can only be understood with a covenant a covenant, which, which is a person swearing their very selves to the other. Covenant, which is the total giving of myself to another. And within that covenant, there are promises. And those promises then are a commitment. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It, it, a covenant is from my will, my intent, my purpose, the heart of me given. I make a covenant commitment. It's a drawing the line in the sand and saying from this day forth, this is what I am to you and will do for you. This is it. Uh, a covenant commitment. And, and with every covenant, there was a, an oath taken. And of course, when humans made such covenants they made an oath calling upon the name of God and so they would say by the Lord God of Israel I swear to you um, but but see this is God making the promise so when he takes an oath he swears by himself and what that comes down to mean is God saying if I don't do this if I do not keep my word on this occasion, then God will cease to be. That's pretty serious, you see. Hebrews, the epistle to Hebrews, really makes a big thing out of that. God swore by himself. He could swear by no greater. He gave himself to us and says that 
I keep my word to you even unto death, which of course he did in the blood of Jesus. Therefore, every promise of God, you could say, is um, underscored by the blood of Jesus Christ. He keeps and he kept and he will keep his word. Or in, in Titus in, in Hebrews 6, it speaks of the God who cannot lie. As surely as God is love, so surely he cannot lie. He cannot be other than he is. He cannot be other than his word. Hear me. This isn't just a little preach. I'm speaking to you in, in matters of life and death. God cannot lie. Or I, I think it's the Hebrew scripture there that says it's impossible for God to lie. He can never deviate from truthfulness one iota. He is faithful to his word. Every promise then that God makes reveals who he is. Or you could say every promise that God makes, he in his character and eternal person is on the line. You are meeting with God in his promise. These are the, the promises of God that tumble through every page of Scripture. They, they are not just nice poetic things, sort of things you hang on the wall that make you kind of feel good. No, these are the word of the God who in covenant commitment has said, this I will do in you, for you, through you around you this I will do and I am faithful and I am truth and I cannot lie so it reveals his heart of his intense passionate love for you his faithfulness to you his goodness and his kindness but now because I think most of you would have agreed with that sort of anyway but now a promise reveals who we are. It's not only the God who made the promise, but it's what God thinks about the people he's making the promise to. And this verse that we've just read assures us that the promises are made to us. To us in Jesus Christ, God has said his final yes to you, to me. So I say it again, and think about it as I say it. A promise not only reveals what the promiser is, but also it reveals what that one who makes the promise thinks of the person he's making the promise to. The, the, these promises of God, every one of them, is the Father saying to you and I, this is how I see you. That takes a lot of thought. Every promise that I read in Scripture is God the Father, in Jesus the Word, and through the revealing of the Holy Spirit, God is saying, this is how I see you. Or you could say, he is saying, this is how I know you 
in my intention, my purpose, my will. This is not, you know, I was raised among folk that were, what, what is the will of God for you? Somehow that phrase will paralyze you in your spiritual tracks. No, this is saying, this is how I know you in my active will toward you right now. This is how I see you. This is how I define you in my purpose, my, the intention I have for you right now. And I'm active. This is my, my promise coming to you, implanting my will within you. It's my promise. This is, this is what, in my purpose, this is my purpose plan of what I see you and will you to be. So you could say that when I read a promise, it is the very person of the Father coming to me from my future saying, this is where we're going. I'm just, I'm just giving you a shaft of light to let you know this is what your future holds in me. This is where I'm taking you. This is what my limitless imagination has seen you to be. It's vast. Blows our little minds. In fact, the scripture says, eye has not seen nor ear heard. It's never been comprehended by the mind of man. The things that God has laid up for those who love him. But he has revealed it to us by his spirit. When Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, he said that God is the one who goes beyond our imaginations. We, we have such small, <laughs> actually, small is too big a word for the way we see ourselves. We, look, I, I've sat probably in the same pews as you are, some of you right now. And all you hear every week is that this gospel, its, its only purpose is to, to get you to heaven when you die. But, but even that is pretty dicey because that depends very much on how you connect with that. And so you're hanging by a thread every week and you're... Own... Do you see what I mean? That in the mind of God... To you who believe, I tell you that in the mind of God is done, finished, over. Get rid of your obsession with sin and gospel being a destination. The gospel, this grand good news, is about you living now in Christ, discovering the vastness, the unspeakableness of what he's up to in you and around you and in your situations right now. A promise. Well, it, it says, as many as they may be. So let me introduce something else to you that you might not have thought of. And that is, that also then includes commands. Yeah, that, the way we look at things these days, that, that doesn't sound right. A command? Yeah, in, in the middle of commands, there's a hidden promise. 
Let, let me tell you what I mean. First of all, in every command, there's a revelation of the person giving it. Come with me slowly, because I, I know what many of you think when you think of commands. You, you've been raised to think of when God gives a command, he's this sort of a combination of a judge, a schoolmaster, military commander, all those people wrapped up, a police chief, I suppose, a, a Congress writing laws and no, hold it, back off, back off. And also when we think of command, you see, a command reveals the person who's giving it. Um, and, and so dictators give commands, but they give commands that are completely self-serving. And have, all they do is cripple us. Well, yeah, the commands of God reveal his person as the self-giving God, his commands are not alien to who he is. In his commands, I meet his love. And when a command is given, the person commanding it gives it because they know what's in you. God never commands you to be something or do something that is impossible. That would be cruelty to the nth degree. The, the command um, is, is because the person giving it knows the plans, knows the future for you, knows where you're going, knows your potential, and gives the command to give you the straight road to that. Look, you, you give a lot of commands to your children. I hope you do. Um, otherwise, your children will think you don't care about them. But commands, why, why do you give the commands? Why, why do you tell your children, don't touch the stovetop when, uh, you know, don't run into the street, go clean your teeth, go wash your hands? Why, why do you do that? They're, they're commands. But why? Because you have such, to the child anyway, a vast idea about that child's potential. You, you, you want to speak these commands in order to avoid the child following after distractions and feelings and emotions that would produce a little savage and probably have itself killed within the hour. But you, you give commands because you have a goal, you have an intention that here is a glorious human being that you passionately love. And therefore you give commands that will direct this child into full maturity. Command. There's an urgency about a command. Commands are not suggestions, you see. And, and, and so God doesn't make any suggestions. His commands. He knows who you are. He knows the person, dare I say, that he imagines to be in his love purpose for you. And therefore he gives commands that direct you in that path. And so the word command, if you really study that word out to something in our English language, the word command means an implanted goal. The commander is planting in you a goal 
to be achieved in doing this command a goal many times that only the one who gives the command can see at this point in time so a command causes an inward purpose an inward direction and knowing this is the path to travel one definition of a command is the impartation of the finished product or destiny meaning that follow that command through then i if if, if the person who commands it believes i can do this and be this and go there then uh, they they have a they're, in, they're putting inside of me the goal that they see of me. They're putting inside of me a drawing to the destiny that they know. Did you get it? I mean, even if you went as far back as the Ten Commands, which I don't necessarily want to do, but understand they fall in the same... Why, why did God give them the Ten Commands? In a world, believe me, that were savage. A world where human life was less than cheap. A world in which love was mocked at. A world where adultery and idolatry and murder were, well, they were the daily haps. And here comes God and he commands, he commands them uh, to love him, trash idolatry, and to love their neighbors as themselves and put away uh, adultery and lying and stealing and murder and that was unheard of in that day when they first were given what is he saying he's saying i love you and i see you a trillion times more than you ever see yourselves i see you as lovers i see you as persons intentionally loving your neighbor and therefore not stealing and not adultery and not murdering and so on it was love so wrapped up in every command is the promise that you are more than you are now follow this path because that's where I'm taking you you know every promise and even those hidden in the commands he says they are yes yes and he tells us it's all in and through Jesus so he is saying that every command even those Old Testament ones every command every promise they have Jesus hidden inside them. Never seen, of course, until he came. Never realized until after he'd risen from the dead and then he went back to Moses and all the prophets and said, it's all about me. Do you remember that? Luke 24. So every promise, Jesus is silently, well, maybe not silently, but he's, He's there in the promise as the promise is given to you. He is there saying, yes, it's true, and I'm the guarantee of it. Yes, every promise, every promise, as many as they may be, they are yes. Okay, what, what does that mean? When you say yes, it means your mind is made up, right? There's, uh, there's no more discussion. Don't bring that up again. 
We've already decided. Yes. So we, we don't go back to the drawing board, do we? It, the mind is made up. Up until the yes is given, there could be a hesitation, you know. Well, maybe this, maybe that, perhaps. Well, who knows, you know. I, I tell you, a person who doesn't know God has said this resounding yes in Jesus to every word he's ever said, I'll show you that person who doesn't know that. When they pray, they say, if it be your will. For goodness sake, man, shut up. God's mind is made up already in Jesus. We don't go wandering around saying, well, maybe, perhaps, who knows, God might do it, perhaps, if it's his Oh, Lord. Have you not looked into the face of God in Jesus Christ and know that his mind is made up about you? There's no more debate, no more discussion. Take it off the religious table. It's done. He loves you. And he has committed himself to promises after promise after promise and says, yes, yes, yes. I mean it. It's done. Let's get on with it. In fact, that's part of what yes means. Let's get on with it. You, you know, uh, well, maybe you don't, but uh, okay, as a family, if you ever sat down to, shall we go to Disney World? Shall we, you know, take a vacation? Shall we go to another city? Or, and, and there's discussion, you know, pros, cons, shall we, shall we? And then the, the person in charge says, yes, we're going to go. And immediately the atmosphere changes. Have you noticed the absolute release? Yes, yes. And because yes has been spoken, we are now at liberty, dare I say, we've received permission, we've been given authority now to start making plans to actively proceed to get the airline tickets, to start packing cases, to start imagining what it will be like, start exciting. Why? Because yes. And that ended all discussion. Yes. Oh, do you get it? Do you get it? There never was any discussion in the mind of God from when creation began and our histories began to unfold, it was a done deal in God's heart. His love for you never faltered or failed or hesitated or maybe never, 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 never. But we didn't get it clearly. And in Jesus, we can't go any further than that. That is the final, the absolute yes to all the plans and purposes and promises that are there in the scripture. It's done. It's done. And if it's done, then it says that we, well, let me read it. For as many as are the promises of God, in him, in Jesus, they are, yes, therefore, you see, if that's the case, therefore, 
Also, so you don't stop at yes. Also, through him, because we're joined to this Jesus, through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. God's glory revealed through us when we say amen to his promises about us that are the final yes. Amen. Uh, The word amen is a responsive word. In actual fact, it's the real meaning of faith or belief. In the Old Testament, the word uh, amen, it means to believe, essentially. We just didn't translate it. Amen. But you see, maybe it's a good thing we didn't translate it because our word believe, at least here in the Western world, is almost exclusively academic. Something you believe about. Something that's on the library shelf and doesn't have a fig to do with um, how you live your life. You just believe about it. Which, of course, that doesn't appear in the Bible. Um, but amen means our hearts saying, so be it. Or that's the way it is. It's got the same finality to it as yes. God says yes. We say amen. That's the way it is. Done. Finished. So we, we step into God's yes and say yes with him. We believe God means what he says with the same faith with which God says what he says. It's what the Virgin Mary responded when she said, be it unto me according to your word, which means I bypass my brain. I haven't got a clue how this could ever be but I submit my being to your word, your promise, and I say, be it unto me according to your word. Amen. And of course, um, we put it at the end of prayer. Though, sadly, many people do not mean it, do they? We say amen at the end of prayer, saying, so be it. That's the way it is and then go right on as if nothing was said and God didn't even hear us. Amen. See, when you look at promises, commands in this fashion, then you realize that they are establishing a relationship between God, the promiser, and you and I, the receiver of the promise. The promises of God are not sort of magical spells that are going to do stuff, you know, get you a new car or something. No, in the promises of God, we encounter. We encounter God as Father. We encounter God coming to us in Jesus. We encounter God as the eye-opener and the empowerer in the Holy Spirit, we encounter him. We've come to his promise. And, and we're beginning to realize what that means. 
and we receive of him and we become what he says is the way he planned for us promise now in the old testament you will get a great deal of attention to a certain word or the idea that's behind the word and that word is inheritance in the new testament of course which always assumes you've read the old that will be referred to our inheritance or you could say inheritance that means your right as a child of God so the, the father gives you this incredible relationship with himself in and through Jesus and says all that I am is now your inheritance as my child or he says to us you now in and through Jesus you are my covenant partner everything the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit planned for you to take place in you all in and because of Jesus that plan that goes to before time huh. that plan is now given to you in promises to understand it and to receive it into life sort of your guide as it says in Psalm 119 uh, your word is a lamp to my feet it guides me tells me the meaning of it all the purpose which ways up well you see that that God purposed and plans and now promises to you that comes from before you were even born that's your using the biblical term inheritance such a big word in scripture you're in heaven what God promises to you and promises to you as this is your being this is your identity this is this is where you're going to live out your life this is well that being the case you see the promises of God lay out a kind of life that I would never dream of outside of God's word <laughs> I, it, when God gives a promise with that in mind that it's part of your inheritance it should be explored savored you know examined you know what I mean if if someone has given to you an inheritance a vast estate with many aspects to it then I think the minute you get the news that you have received such an inheritance you will begin to make plans to examine what this inheritance really is to explore it you know something as small as when we first purchased our ranch here in Texas one of the first things we did was to traverse the land we we went to all four corners we went down into the creek bed we we savored the sound of the birds down there in the creek and we we took in the foxes and the owls and 
All the various birds had filled the place. We saw the paw prints of mountain lion and bobcat and and we, we, we this is this is our land now and as it brushed against our legs this is our grass now we're putting our foot down and feeling hard ground marshy ground you know seeing what the, the catkas with all its flowers and yeah we we explored we adventured it it's our land and, and now we're going to find out what's here and, and it's the same. I, I use the word savor. It's when you go into the kitchen and you smell the roast beef cooking and you smell it and immediately your saliva glands begin to fill your mouth and, oh yeah, you're savoring. You, you haven't tasted it yet, but you're, you're there. See, okay, Abraham, who is really the beginning of all this? You can't go back before Abraham, but really it begins in Abraham. This entire idea of an inheritance, which includes you and I, um, though he was, you know, 2,000 years before Christ, but the inheritance that is going to culminate in Jesus and bring to us this, this vast inheritance of God himself all began with Abraham, and it began with the first little picture of that inheritance, which was the land of Canaan. Uh, and so the Lord said to him, you know, this land is yours. I, I know there's a lot of other fellows living here right now, but I've given it to you. And so, do you remember, read it there in Genesis. He's, he says, go and traverse the land. Put your foot down wherever you put your foot. Remember, this is your land. This is your land. Don't just sit in the tent saying, God promised me the land. Go, go look at it. Go walk around it. And walk around it looking as if you own it. Because you do. My promise is real. Though you don't have the, the deed of the place yet. And there's a lot standing in the way. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. I've given it to you and that's the end of the matter. It's a promise that now is in process of happening. So start acting as if you, you own this place. Walk through it. And remember, every time your foot goes down, it's going down on Abraham's land. I, I tell you what, practice being the owner of it. Yeah, that will work. Act as if you are. Let your imagination go wild. In fact, you're going to have a son. I know that your wife is barren and withered up now as you're all moving toward a hundred. I know, I know that. But that's beside the point, you see, because I promised it. That's the end of the matter. Right? Mind made up. Done deal. So, so now, start... Start imagining, start getting the feel of being a father, but not just of this one. This one is the gateway to a multitude of descendants that you couldn't even begin to number. So we, we need some imagination at work here. Look at the sky. Go on, lay out on the desert and just stare up at the night sky and see the stars, gazillion upon gazillion, billion upon trillion. Well, 
Imagine it, Abraham. That's what I'm going to give you. Get a feel for it. Uh, and then go walking in the desert. Go on. It's part of your land, isn't it? And as you walk, let the sand get all between your toes. Pick up and let it sift through your fingers. Can you count the grains of sand? That's how your descendants are going to be. See, God didn't just give a promise. He pushed Abraham out and says, Now imagine it. Explore it. Start acting like I'm giving it to you. And he did. He did. Well, why did Moses send, send the 12 spies into the land of Canaan? Of course, this is much later now, but it's still the same subject. That land was the little picture of the inheritance that was coming, that you and I have. The 12 spies, why? Go explore it, you see. Go put your foot down in the land. 12 of you. Just spread out. Go to the north and the south, the east and the west. Spread out. Put your foot down on the land and feel it and know it. This is ours. And I'm going to go back and tell all my fellows exactly what's here. Taste the fruit. Good grief. Never. We've been in the desert, you see. We're a bunch of Bedouins. We, we don't know what fruit tastes like. Oh, and the juice is dribbling down my beard and I've got to tell them about it. In fact, I might take some back home with me, you know. See the resources of this land that I'm giving to you. In fact, one of them, at least one of them, Caleb, when he came to a certain part of Hebron, he says, this is the most fantastic piece of property I've ever seen. And I lay my stake on this right now. See, I'm just here exploring, but I, this part of the inheritance, this part of the promise that God has given is of such a character. I, I want to come and live here. This is, this is going to be my base inside the inheritance. And it was so. When Joshua, 40 years later, is going to lead the people into that inheritance, again it says to him, every place that you put your foot down on, remember it's yours yours and then he says to Joshua meditate on this book of the law which means basically this book of promises this book that teaches you the inheritance he said meditate on it chew on it inside of you regurgitate it let it go over and over through your mind until you're talking in your sleep about it get inside your inheritance possess it as soon as I've given the promise, start acting as if, practicing the fact this is yours. You see, you need that kind of thing because eye has not seen, ear has not heard. I mean, it's no good saying, oh, yes, I know what that means. You don't have a clue what that means. Go stand before that promise. Call on the Holy Spirit, your teacher, your guide into unknown territory. Ask that your eyes be open to see the unseeable, ears open to hear the inaudible. Let the Holy Spirit teach you your inheritance that you might possess it. Teach you your inheritance that you might begin to practice being the person there. And every time you put down your foot upon the promise of God, every time you snuggle down into a word of the promise, 
Let your heart be seen. Amen. That's the way it is. I'm hearing the yes of the Father resounding in Jesus, brought into me by the Spirit to which I say, yes, amen. Please, that's the way it should be. Have you noticed the very first reaction that we have to the promises of God when we really see what they're saying is to back off. It's incredible. We back off. We say, no, he can't be talking to me. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And we start every, it's really the process of excuse, can't be, it couldn't, it couldn't be talking about me. Why, if I even suggested that this is where I'm going in life, that would be the sin of pride. I'm unworthy. Oh, how we love it. The church has, we have been taught to articulate our miserable wretchedness and our unworthiness and call it humility? It's not humility. It's religious lying. You mean worthy in Christ. But we say it. I'm unworthy. I don't deserve this, you know. I can't. God says do this. Why? Because that's a hidden promise that that's the way you're going. And I empower you to do it as you go. We say, I can't, I can't. We've got the victim mentality, you know. It happens for other people, but the devil's out to get me. It happens to other people, but you should see my family that I came from. It was full of abuse. It was the most screwed up family. How can you expect me ever to amount to anything? I was raised in... London, England at a time in its history when being a peasant meant that most things just weren't for you. They were for the upper class. I was raised with it ringing in my ears about anything I wanted to do. It said, that's not for the likes of us. Victim. We were born at the wrong end of the scale. We live in the wrong end of town. Didn't get the education whatever your excuse, mentality, meaning, I don't qualify. We're intimidated by devils and by problems and we're full of fear that everything is bigger than us and stronger than us and everything that wants to kill us will probably succeed. We believe the worst about ourselves and believe that we are experts in sin and failure, but Never to be the kind of person that God describes. And we've got a good memory for every perceived failure. And we're now cynical. Now there's a certain bite to it, that a bitterness, a, what do we say, a chip on our shoulder. Yeah. Happens to everybody else, but not to me. God loves everybody else, but not me. This couldn't be me it's talking about. And to live like God describes a normal person within his purpose, we're afraid of looking stupid. Supposing I try to be like that and it doesn't work. 
I'm so discouraged. And on and on we go. Well, these chaps I've been talking about, you know, they went the same way. Abraham, you're going to have a child who's going to become the beginning of a great nation in the land of Canaan. What did he do? He took his nephew, Lot, along with him to pass everything to him. He must be the chap he's talking about. Uh Uh-uh. And then when the Lord said, you know, about your descendant, he comes back with, well, I've got this servant, Eliezer, and he's a jolly good fellow, and so I'm going to leave everything to him, and he'll be... The Lord doesn't even comment on such nonsense. He says, I was talking about your wife. You are going to have a child. But all the... No, 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 no. It was a long time before Abraham really got it straight. Moses, read the account. Is it, what, Exodus 3? And and the Lord tells him the purpose, the plan, who he's going to, who he is and who he shall become. All Moses can do, it takes up verse after verse. My excuses, it couldn't possibly happen. You've got the wrong man here. I'm out of here. Joshua, half the thing when God was putting in his lap the promises that encompass the future, half the thing that he has to say is keep on saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be timid, be courageous, be very courageous. Why? Because the man sat there trembling and he said, I couldn't do this. And of course, you know the story of Gideon when when the, the angel of the Lord came with the message that he was to deliver Israel. Oh, the long litany of, I'm no good, I'm the youngest chap in the most despised family in the whole of Israel. Forget it, man, you've got the wrong cat here. Hmm. And of course, the 12 that went to explore the land, 10 of them only saw giants. They never got round to see in the land. Just the giants, they ignored the promises. Couldn't, couldn't be it. We spend our time trying to convince ourselves and prove to God that he could not be meaning me. And of course, once, this is a weird twist, once we've convinced ourselves we're not worthy of all of this, then when the trouble comes, we be, I don't know what it is, because we've already got this twisted idea of God and our distorted image of ourselves, so we grab a promise and now in panic and fear we scream it back to God. You've got to do it, you've got to do it. I met a chap a little while ago who said, I, 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 I sit, and he said, yesterday it was 348 times I recited the promise back to grief. You must be terrified and you're trying to convince yourself it's right, it's right, it's right. And I keep on telling God, you made the promise, you made the promise. Relax. He made the promise. What are you doing? All your fears and anxiety and screaming at God and trying to confess it and confess it and confess it to make it happen. You confess it because you know it's happening. See, the, you, you watch TV at night, those commercials, most annoying things that mankind ever invented. What are they? Every time, every commercial, doesn't matter what they're talking about, commercials are telling you, you are not. You do not have. You're not. You don't. You're less than everybody on your neighborhood block because they probably have. But you don't have 
you're sick and you're empty and you're just not up to par therefore buy this and that will solve all your problems well you see God has commercials we call them promises and God's commercials are all about who you are in Christ and the vastness of the inheritance that you have in him and he keeps on it's like it's like the commercials every three minutes he he's telling you this 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 is who you are this is what I have given you and I've done so because you are mine this is my gift to you my beloved child it's his promises and I say, yes, but look at my past. You know, God won't. He will not even answer you about your past. Read those that I referred to here. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Gideon. It's amazing how God totally ignored what they were saying. It's, it's, it's worth a laugh. You know, they're telling God all this. They've got their soul. I mean, they, 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 they are their own defense attorney saying, here's my case. This, this person just can't do this. And God doesn't answer them. He ignores them and goes right on with what he says is his plan for this person. I don't care who you are. Well, this is the point, you see. What, what we do, we look at our weakness and we act as if God's promises mean that we've got to try and make them happen. And that's when we say, well, I'm too weak. Well, of course, you silly fellow. You were never meant to make them happen. If I make a promise to you, it's not telling you you've got to try and make it happen. It is that I've made the promise, I will keep it. Look, get comfortable with being weak. That's how you're made. Do you realize we were created to be receivers and takers? We are not the originators of life and joy and peace and all the rest of it. We are receivers. It's the great lie that started it all off when Satan came and says, you shall be as God. As God? Well, what's God? God is not a receiver. He's an initiator. God determines who he is and he is who he is. You're not God. You don't initiate. You do not determine your own life. You receive that out of the great heart of God's love. And Satan's temptation was be your own God. Self-determine your life. You are strength in yourself. You are wisdom in yourself. You're not. But that's the essence of sin, to think you are. And of course, when you find out you're not, then you're ashamed and you believe that there's some flaw in your making that you should be, you ought to be. I'm going to try to be. Look, in, in 2 Corinthians, it says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's quite a statement, you see. It calls us earthen vessels, which is a very nice poetic way of saying old clay pot. But it says in this old clay pot, we have a treasure vast treasure of jewels and precious things you're the container you're the receiver 
And of course, that illustration is not complete because we become one with that treasure. That's another story. But the fact is, we don't originate the treasure. We contain it. And you see, I, I, I see persons who, they're having anxiety fits, religious anxiety fits, saying, uh, I, I'm, you know, I feel so weak. There's something wrong with me. I'm a clay pot. I've got to try and become diamonds. I've got to try and become rubies. I must be silver and gold. No, you contain that as the gift of God. Do you get it? You're sitting there saying, I'm just an old porcelain cup. I've got to be coffee. I've got to be coffee. I'm trying hard. Oh, God, make me coffee. No, you're a container of coffee. Christ in you is the hope of glory. As I say, that is a very important beginning of this. It goes further. But we look at our weakness and start saying, therefore I can never, you know. Or I'm trying to pour the coffee in the cup and the cup's arguing and saying, but I'm only a porcelain cup. I ignore the stupid cup and keep pouring the coffee. Well, there's a lot more to say. I thought I'd get further than this, but I think this will help you for a week, don't you think? I think I've said enough to... To what? The promises of God. How do you read the scripture? See, there's a time to be a Bible student. <clears throat> It's time to be a theologian. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about coming to this scripture right where you are in life, right where you are, and to read this book hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, actually speaking God's word to you in his promised form. If you're going through something in life, Let me, what I often do, go to the book of Psalms. I say the Psalms because all of life is in the Psalms. There's not a part of your experience that isn't there in the Psalms. And as I've said, the Psalms are also a prophecy of the inner life of Jesus when he came and joined us in our humanity. And so start, just, just do this. Go to the Psalms. And just start reading. Reading with a heart open to the Holy Spirit. Not just reading, you know, because I've got to read 10 Psalms today. Just read. I don't care how long you read. Read until some verses, some words, something leaps out. It's the only way I can put it. You might put it another way. It might happen. But that passage of scripture becomes real to you. It seems to be custom made to speak to the situation you find yourself in right now. Grab it. It's the promise of God to you. Take it. Write it out. Personalize it. Put your name in there. This is your heavenly Father speaking to you right now through the Holy Spirit. Cling to it. Cling to it. 
I mean, forget all this. I've got to read so much every day. Forget that nonsense. Take that passage and begin to walk through it. Put your foot down. Explore it. Excite over it. Because there's so much hidden in that passage, all for you right now. And then pray. Ask for that. Because Father says it's yours, so ask for it. But when you say amen, move into that other form of prayer, which is saying, that's the way it is. Amen. It is so. And begin to speak of yourself in the terms of that promise, even though your situation doesn't appear to be changing. That's neither here nor there. So Isaac isn't born yet. Still call yourself Abraham, the father of many nations. And then what I've said in this last hour, I believe, will begin to make sense to you. Well, I've got to come back to this. I thought we'd do it tonight, but we're not. And so next week I shall continue this and see where it takes us. But I'm promising you it will take you into a world where you live and move inside the promises of God. Well, that's it. Now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing now be upon you and in you, opening the eyes of your understanding, revealing to you the hope to which you have been called to reveal to you the enabling power of God, Holy Spirit within you, to enter into His promises, to walk in His commands, and to become who you already are in the mind and imagination of your Father. So I bless you. So I say the Amen. That is the way it is. <laughs>